This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Hey, Jerry, Phil, what are you, what are you guys doing here? I got an email asking me to come here tonight. Yeah, I uh, got a mysterious phone call earlier today telling me that uh, one of the great mysteries would be revealed if I came to the house tonight. Yeah, I got the same message, but mine was in a lever- letter that's delivered by a seagull. It exploded as soon as I read the message. The note exploded? Um, It wasn't the note that exploded. Yeah, well, that's certainly mysterious. Uh-oh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Live TV kids. I was like, what is happening? Professionals. <laughs> it's Jason's line. I, I didn't prepare a line. Um, no, no, we've got it on the show notes. Do you have the show notes? No. Where are the show notes? Oh, I sent them to you by Gmail. Hang on. I'm going to send you a link. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. I have, are I'm we going to start this over again or not? Nah, we're rolling through, man. We're, we're going. Through. We're going. Jerry, just, Jerry, just take us right into the intro. Where did you All send right. them? Where did you send them? I just put it in the chat in Zoom. <laughs> oh, so, is that kerfuffle? Welcome to the 473rd episode of the Misdirected Mark podcast. Tonight, Jason Cordova joins us to discuss setting up mysteries in your tabletop role-playing games. Along the way, we'll take your comments, examples, and suggestions live from the chat room for life on Twitch before jumping in the after show. But first... My name is Jerry. My name is Phil. It's Jason. And I'm Jason. And I am Old Man Logan. And I'm catching up on the show notes. (laughs) All right. We'll get this down. Don't worry. I had the show notes open during pre-show and I was like going through them and I'm like, I hadn't even thought to ask like, Jason, did you get the link I sent you earlier? Pre-game checklist. Always ask the guest if they have the show notes up. I'm going to take that one on me. That one, that one's on me tonight. That's I, will, a good opening. Um, I had a good opening, too. Anyway, Guest management <laughs> failure on Phil. That one's mine. These things happen. All right. These things happen. <sighs> well, we like welcome to the Mistracted Mark podcast, everybody. You get to see you get to see how the sausage is made. Here you go. All right. In real time. I don't think they want to see our sausage, Jerry. And on that uh, note, uh, it's time for our wife. temperature check to see how everybody's feeling. Um, we're going to start with Phil. How you doing? I am, uh, well, I don't know, mentally, I guess I'm kind of okay. Like, I don't know, watching democracy slide off a cliff, but I'm trying to make the best of it while it's happening. So um, I don't know, that's coping. And um, physically, I'm doing okay, other than breaking in these Birkenstocks that I got, um, which is like (laughs) a form of slow torture. So uh, I'll talk about it more probably in the after show. But uh, hopefully I'll just survive wearing these sandals for like a couple more hours and, you know, won't be hobbled by them. I'm going to win. I'm determined. Anyway, that's me. Jerry, how you doing? Good. Uh, This up and down weather is driving my allergies nuts. So if I suddenly sniffle, sneeze or whatever, it seems to happen as soon as it gets dark outside. But other than that, I'm good. Um, I'm used to this kind of weather. I love this warm temperature. Um, Political climate sucks, but the regular climate's not bad. So we're good. We're good. We're having a good time this, this week. Uh, Jason, how you doing? 
Well, I'm, I'm mildly embarrassed right now. Um, <laughs> this no precise moment. <laughs> but no, uh, I'm doing good. Uh, all things considered, I'm doing okay. My Kickstarter is rocking and rolling, so I'm happy about that. Um, I am also uh, really, really upset about the political situation. I actually used to do a lot of direct work uh, in the topic du jour. Um, but gosh, let's not let's not get into that. Woof. <laughs> I follow you on Twitter for as long as uh, I can stay on Twitter. Thanks to yeah. Elon Musk. Like as yeah. long as I can hang out on Twitter, that's, but I follow you. So I know like I've, I've read all of your tweets yeah. about this yeah. subject. Yeah. It's uh, d- doing, doing uh, reproductive justice in Texas is not a fun job. No. <laughs> so, um, Can't imagine. I'm about to get a lot less fun. Yeah. I imagine for whoever's still doing it. So yeah, it's very bad. But, you know, but Kickstarter, hey, yay. <laughs> we'll be talking so, about that in yeah. just a moment. Babo. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, mentally I'm right there with you on the climate of things. Um, uh, mentally, I'm like a, a solid B plus right now um, because I'm, ch- I'm pretty chill the last couple of days. Um, physically, my allergies are freaking out and my eyes, I, I just want to claw them out of my head. I cannot get my eyes to stop watering unless I'm on like three or four different kinds of antihistamine type <laughs> medicines. I'm, I'm loaded up with so many drugs right now that are none of the good ones. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, other than that, had another therapeutic massage for my shoulders and my neck today. So that mellowed me out. So feeling good. And uh, mm. and that'll do for the temperature check. We can roll into the announcements. All right, here we go. I'll just truck through a couple of these. Uh, first of all, just a reminder, no shows for 517 and 524. So we will not be recording a show next week, which is uh, 517 drops on the 24th. We will not be recording a show on 524, which would drop on 531. I've got some personal stuff I need to attend to, um, a little bit of family stuff, and uh, can't do uh, can't be doing the recordings. So We'll be taking a little, um, I don't know, like mid-spring hiatus for a couple of weeks. We return live on the 31st. That episode will drop on the 7th of June. So keep that in mind. Uh, next one I want to bring up is um, on drive-thru, there is a new bundle, RPGs for Reproductive Justice, that has come out. A bunch of titles are on there. More than I can cover, I'll give you some highlights of some things that are in that bundle. We'll put the link up for it um, in the show notes. But uh, Unbound and Royal Blood, Fate Accessibility Toolkit, Feminism Anthology, Barrow Keep, Den of Spies, Honey and Hot Wax, Starcrossed, uh, and Turning Point. So uh, nice. Encoded Designs. Actually I, I, could... got, I got into that one. That is a ridiculously good bundle. For the price, you get such good, so many good things, but more importantly, man, supporting a good cause. There are so mm-hmm. many good games in that, in that bundle. Yeah, so we were lucky enough. I actually saw a thing on Twitter talking about putting it together and i was like oh we would absolutely want to jump in on that so um so we did yeah we were able to get in there uh lastly and i we're here tonight to talk to jason about jason's kickstarter but since jason's kickstarter is doing so well we're going to help out one more uh fellow designer whose kickstarter launched today uh mutants in the next which is the expansion for mutants in the now uh it's like the first expansion um that just kicked off this morning at noon uh, Bob, do you know how it's doing so far? Yeah, right now uh, it's at $5,649 out of their $10,000 ask. Fantastic. Um, or, oh, let me switch windows here. Sorry. 
make this easier on me. I can't. Uh, Nineteen thousand eight fifty is what their their goal is, and they're at fifty six fifty eight. Thirty one days good. to go, so they're they're just getting started. Um, Excellent, but off to a good start. Yeah, I. You've heard us talk about it on the show before. It is the mm-hmm. uh, spiritual successor to the old Palladium TMNT game, but with modern, um, with a modern rule system. So to me, that's this a is good like, pitch. Yes, right. Yeah, that's a great pitch. It's I, actually we, you and I have talked about the old TMNT game many times oh, before. Actually, <laughs> yeah, and, and this like this this like this um this game like guts all the like it. So it, it keeps to the spirit of Palladium, cleans out all the things about Palladium that were just like, you know, head, you know, like face, you know, face palming, you know, painful stuff, but keeps things like uh, it has the point build system for building animals and um, and all of that. So this new expansion is adding like more animals, more psionics. Uh, they got the um, artist who's who's currently doing uh, TMNT will be doing some of the artwork for the game oh, as well as yeah. the artist who did um the original mutants in the now that was uh that just came out so like it, it it's rocking um i'm i will definitely be running this later this year like this is um and i'm very excited of, so and one of the one of the buy-in options will get you mutants in the now if you want you can get both of them together either in pdf or in physical copy i believe so if you missed out on the mutants in the now you can jump into this kickstarter and get both of them so you're not behind on the game which is really nice and I think it's, I think for like 23 or $33, you can get both games together on PDF. It's really nice. It's, it's a good, it's a good deal for those who missed the first one. So yeah, um, it's a great expansion. So yep. backed it first thing this morning when it popped up and talking about things I backed the moment they popped up. Um, we're now going to turn our focus yeah. and hand over the reins to Jason for a bit. Um, Cause Jason's here to talk about um, his Kickstarter the amazing Brindlewood Bay, uh, which mm. I've been following since you first dropped the first PDF uh, out on drive-thru. So yeah, it's if, like, if, what, two years now. <laughs> right. If there's a yeah, chance that anyone that. who listens to us doesn't already know what Brindlewood Bay is, like I'm going to let you introduce it and then mm-hmm. walk us through some highlights for the Kickstarter. Yeah, that's great. Uh, thank you. So, uh, well, thanks for having me and letting me talk about the game. Um, so Brindlewood Bay is a game about a, you play a group of elderly women who are members of the Murder Mavens Mystery Book Club. And they live in a, a small town in New England called Brindlewood Bay. And they use the skills they have acquired from reading so many mystery books to solve murders, the murder mysteries taking place in and around their town. Um, as they, As the campaign progresses and as you are solving these mysteries, the mavens start to become aware of a dark occult conspiracy that connects the mysteries and they eventually have to face that occult conspiracy in order to save uh, the community right and so i like to say that the game is murder she wrote meets hp lovecraft uh, which is essentially what it is um with a little bit of golden girls in there as well uh so yeah it's it's it is um it's chassis is powered by the apocalypse but it also uses a bespoke mystery system created by me and uh the game has been out for a couple of years in a preview edition uh which back then we didn't call it a preview edition we just called it brindlewood bay but uh but now it's the preview edition and so anybody who wants to check out the game before backing the kickstarter that is available for free on the kickstarter page you can go download that 
and kind of see how the game works. Uh, the Kickstarter, what we're kickstarting is the creation of two books. Um, the first is the Brindlewood Bay Core Rulebook, which will have revised and expanded rules for the original game. Um, and then it'll have six mysteries as well. And then the, uh, the second book is called Nephews in Peril, which is the supplement book. And I love that Nephews, name. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Nephews in Peril is a supplement book. And uh, it, uh, well, on the cover of the Kickstarter page, at least, it features, it features expanded setting material for the town of Brindlewood Bay, plus 10 more mysteries. But we have unlocked a bunch of stretch goals, so it's going to have way more than 10 mysteries in it. Um, but yeah, uh, so those are the sort of like two main things we're kickstarting. And there is also a third book that you can get as an add-on, and it's a Kickstarter exclusive, which is the Brindlewood Bay Community Cookbook. This is a in-fiction cookbook with real recipes submitted by characters in the setting, and um, the recipes are all usable, and they work in the kitchen, but in the margins of each page there is a mystery going on. Like, they're handwritten notes from a murder maven. Love it. And so it's a solo mystery game as well. So uh that's another thing you can get as part of the kickstarter um and yeah uh i'm really excited about this because you know we've had a couple of years to live with this game and it's like earlier form right and that's that's we've had a couple of years to sort of like get feedback on it to have a lot of people play it just to tell us what they love about it and um and i've been sort of like formulating my like ideal version of like brindlewood bay like what can we really do with this game you know um before we were kind of limited because we were doing like a sort of zine format and so we had a limited amount of space to put things in and with this new kickstarted version it's going to have like all that really good gm advice or keeper advice is what we call the gm and brindlewood bay the keeper all this really good keeper advice a lot more setting material um a lot more just uh just like fun details and um and it's like the the final evolution of brindlewood bay and so we're really really excited that people are um People are excited to try it. We're excited to get it out to them. And yeah, it's going to be great. So let me ask you, because I just want you, I, I want you to be able to speak to it. I love the artwork. Okay. Like your choice of artist and your choice of art style for this is is fantastic. Like there's a lot of ways you could go with like, you know, um, you know, Lovecraftian horror mystery or whatever. But like that is not the direction you went for for the artwork for this. So can you can you just talk about the yeah. artwork? Yeah, so the artist uh, is an Italian artist. Her name is Cecilia Ferri. And uh, Cecilia, uh, we had worked with her on Codex, our magazine, uh, quite a bit before Brindlewood Bay. And so we were familiar with her work already. And we had a good working relationship. And before she started doing role-playing games, uh, she illustrated uh, children's books. That was um, what she did. And her style has this, it has this like softness, this roundness to it, you know, it's very inviting. Like you look at these pictures of these like little old ladies, uh, you know, enjoying their lives in Brindlewood Bay and, you know, eating cake or looking at things with a magnifying glass or whatever, right? And um, and it's very inviting and accessible. But what I love about that, and this kind of just speaks to my particular sense of humor and how I like to do things is, once you like start playing the game, the game gets deeply weird. Right? Like it like <laughs> it starts it starts as this like cozy murder mystery thing, like this Cabot Cove Midsummer Murders, you know, kind of thing. But then as you play, it starts to become more of this like horror thing, right? And um, 
and I just I just like that. I just like that sort of like transition, you know. Um, I love it. People always tell me like, "Wow, we started playing this, we're having a great time, and then we got to about session four, and it got really weird." <laughs> so like, good success. That's what I wanted. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was that was kind of the idea, you know, to have. We wanted it to look different. We wanted it to look really different compared to what's out there, but also we wanted it to be this like almost like this lure, you know. Now. Now, do the do the characters on the cover? They have names, right? Like they do. Yeah, they do. They, they do. do. Yeah, uh, Daisy <laughs> okay. Rose and Violet. <laughs> love it. I love it. Okay. Yeah, Daisy Rose and Violet. That's awesome. All right, good. Yeah. So, um, the Kickstarter's doing okay, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. we're happy with it. Yeah, we're very pleased. It's exceeding our expectations. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think as of this recording, we're at like uh, two eighty something. I think I don't remember exactly. Uh, what, the but... exact number is uh, two eighty three, two eighty three eight ninety two out of your goal yeah, of that's ten thousand. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. love that. Yeah, yeah it's uh, we are we're plugging away. We got stretch goals planned out. Um, we're working on one right now, the three hundred k stretch goal. Which is uh, which? Phil, you might actually really be excited about Phil. If you is, um, we're gonna if we get to the 300k stretch goal, we're going to create a podcast to support the Brindlewood Bay line That's of right. games, right? Because it's not just Brindlewood Bay. There's my other game, The Between. There's mm-hmm. a whole vibrant like hacking and third party creations community around Brindlewood Bay and and The Between. And so we're gonna do this podcast, uh, David and I, my original co-host on Discern Re- or my co-host from Discern Realities, the old Dungeon World podcast. We're getting back into the podcasting saddle together and we're gonna uh if we can unlock this stretch goal, we'll do we'll do this podcast to support um Brindlewood Bay, the Between and the other games that come out of that um sort of mystery oh, horror. That's fantastic. Cool. Yeah. So um you know our big thing in the gauntlet is like using our podcast platform to sort of like build community around games, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I think our dungeon world podcast was really foundational to understanding and engaging with dungeon world, you know, and uh, fear of a black dragon is a really like kind of, you know, kind of important podcast in the OSR scene and the adventure design scene. And we just want to bring a little bit of that, like deep conversation that sort of, you know, expanding ideas around these games, you know, to this, to these games, these mystery horror games that use the mystery system of Brendan. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I I mean, I was a huge discern realities fan. Like that's, uh, I learned, I learned plenty about GMing uh, dungeon world from listening to that podcast. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I, now I know of, I think one, I isn't uh, Jim from Jim likes games is, uh, has a a Brindle uh, hack, right. That's uh, like superheroes. Yeah. Well, Jim has uh, several things in the book actually, in the two books. Um, He's, he's got, uh, he's written a really, really big setting piece for Brindlewood Bay because he's from uh, Maine, <laughs> you know, he's from New England. And so he knows the area really well. And so he's written a lot of the like setting material for Brindlewood Bay in addition to a couple of mysteries. And so he's always been kind of connected to the project, you know? Um, but yeah, he's working on a hack called X capes and uh, it's a hack of, it's a hack of the between, which is kind of a hack of Brindlewood Bay. They're the same lineage, um, but it, yeah, it's like a street level supers uh, game investigation game. And uh, I think that's really great. I, I, I think it's a good fit. I actually think the between, which is a game about Victorian mm-hmm. uh, era monster hunters in London. I, um, I think it's actually kind of a street level supers game too, but just set in Victorian era London, you know? Cool. Um, 
but yeah, so it's a, it's a really good fit. And I don't know where he's at with that, to be honest. Um, I know, but I know he's working on it. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I know yeah. he's been, he's, I, I, I hear him talk about it. Like he's, you know, yeah, posting yeah. things about having, you know, run a session yeah. here and there, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. But Excellent. yeah, uh, anything else you want to know about the Kickstarter? I mean, it is, it's, yeah, like you said, it's kind of going strong. We're really happy with it. Um, we hope everybody will go back it. Um, it's, it's a, there's a, we went into this Kickstarter with a really strong community of play around the game already. You know, that was really important to me that we, that we don't go to Kickstarter before this game has its fan base, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and that's paying off. I'm really excited about that. And we just hope more people will join that wagon. You know, I mean, it's like 4,000 strong already, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think we'll be at 5,000 by the end of the week. If we're at the pace that we're, Maintain, that's amazing yeah. that's amazing and it, you know and i follow you i follow you on twitter obviously because we're friends and i like you run and like you work on like you've worked on this game tirelessly like i see posts like you are playing it here you are playing it there like mm-hmm. i'm at work you're playing it like we're like <laughs> wherever i am like you are out there working like you've been working on this or the between right it's just yep. been like back and yep. forth you know on both of them so uh, it's really nice to see. And I think, and I actually think your approach is really smart. I think it's really smart to um, have put the game out in the world. There's like people have, like, I, like I said, I've, I, as soon as I heard the concept, I went and I went and bought a, you know, the, the original copy and was like, I got to see this. Like, um, cause I also knew your love of the golden girls. So I was like, I totally have to see this in action. Um, and then like, you just, you play like, like you are like, like Johnny Appleseed, right? Like you just, you are out there playing, playing, playing like evangelize. I, you know, I mean, it is like, yeah, I'm doing publishing. It's my job now. It's awesome. I'm glad I get to do that. I love podcasting. I love being a GM more than anything else, though. Like, I am a GM uh, of role-playing games, like, to my core. It is, like, who I am. Like, really, you and I have that yep. in common, right? Yep. Like, I am a GM to my core. And, uh, and everything I do is about, like, you know, in the podcasting, it's, like, you know, sort of sharing my ideas about how to be a good GM, how to get good gameplay going at the table, how to create table culture, how to come up with techniques and different things. Like nobody was talking about safety tools before we did, right? Like all that stuff, right? And now I get to take that to the game design space. And it's not just like designing a game though, it's it's designing a game that is meant to be played. And I think yeah. that's a really key distinction. Like, like I know like, because I love to GM so much and I do run so many games. Like I kind of have figured out a way to like telegraph that understanding into the rules, like systematizing, codify it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I love that. And, and it always, the payoff is when someone, and I get this message at least once a week, someone like says, this was the first game I ever ran and it went great. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, like good. That's awesome. Or, my group is mostly into D and D, but I convinced them to give this a shot for one week, you know, because our because our DM was not going to be there. So I decided to run this for them, and they loved it. And it was the first game I ever ran. You know, like like I love those stories, like that stuff. Yeah, that, that's why I get up every day. You know, like I just love hearing that. You know, it just like like in this Kickstarter, like yeah, the money is obviously an important part of it, but like I'm more excited about the just the thought that like. I'm going to get to communicate my ideas about gaming in a written form to people who might then take them and go play my game. Like that's super exciting to me. Like that's just like everything. I love it. I mean, it's kind of the, I mean, it was my feeling like when apocalypse for apocalypse world first came out, like the first time I read through, Mm -hmm. right. The principles and agendas. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I think I even wrote an article on gnomes too. That was like, 
you don't have to play this game. Just do all this. Like, just do everything that that's piece. written here. I remember that piece. I remember that. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't think I put two and two together that you wrote it, but I remember that piece though, because that is because because that's true, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's true that like if nothing else, Apocalypse World is a fantastic like just basic GM principles text, you know. So yeah. By the way, for listeners who haven't been on the who haven't listened to the show for many years. A long time ago, Jason and I did an episode by ourselves, and I got yelled at by Chris for how long we went over because we were chatting. The so, GM stuff for like two yes. hours. No yeah. <laughs> so, yes. so I don't know if you've noticed, this is going to like, Bob, you're going to have to like, you know, really put the brakes on us to keep us somewhere well, near the top. It's probably time for us to jump into the main segment then. So, yes. okay. Because Jason good. and I will just chat all we evening we'll about GM. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, do you have a bumper for this, Bob, for the study? I tried to come up with something and I couldn't think of anything that would be audibly worth it. Yeah. I'll just do it. I'll do the welcome. We could have gotten the sound from the IT crowd, the ready mysterious, you know, we just watched that the other night. Anyway, welcome to the study um, where we take a look at different uh, games and uh, different games and different elements of games. Tonight we're in for a real treat. We did not do a proper introduction to Jason because the whole beginning of the show went sideways, but Jason, is you have been one of my you're like one of my favorite voices in podcasting like i have i have listened to so many of your podcasts you are I, like we've just talked about you're an amazing gm with a very distinct and playable style um you are like the first person i think of when it comes to the idea of creating table culture i think you've been very deliberate about that in the gauntlet i think that whole online community um has that because of you know your very um deliberate efforts in that uh, and you are also a brilliant game designer. So, um, hi, Jason, right? Like, <laughs> going to yeah, do the, do the intro goodness. right now. What a, what a fantastic aboard. intro. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, thank you so much. That's very nice of you to say. Oh, I mean, it comes from the heart. No, thanks. So we're going to settle into the study tonight. We're going to get comfy in our chairs, and we're going to discuss mysteries, um, and the very which is at the very core loop of Brindlewood Bay, is solving mysteries. Um, where appropriate, I'm going to use Knights Black Agents as a comparison system because okay. I'm currently running Knights Black Agents, and so okay. it has a very uh, distinct way of handling mysteries. Okay, um, which I think will just be fun. Like we'll just we'll you know it's I'm not super contrast. familiar with it, so you you might have to like. Oh, it's okay. I'll just okay, do them yeah. like by yeah. I'll just yeah, do it by way of you know. Okay. Oh, NBA does it like this. But oh, good. really? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Really, we're here just to talk about Brindlewood Bay. Okay. So <laughs> I'm very good at that and a lot of that. <laughs> so we've got I got we've got six questions lined up for you. Um and we'll you know we'll let the conversations take a little liberty here and there. Bob's gonna try to keep us on track um as we go through. We'll do three before our break. Uh we'll check in with the chat room at the break, and then we'll do three more to wrap up the segment. So I'll start us off uh talking about mysteries in general. Right? The core loop of Brindlewood Bay is to solve mysteries. Mysteries being defined as a puzzling crime, especially murder. Uh, as a genre, there are a whole bunch of different types of mystery genres, right? And combinations of mystery genres, things like that. Um, if we look at like, and if we look at like Knights Black Agents, that's like really like a police procedural and a little bit of paranormal investigation, right? Jason Bourne and vampire kind of thing. Um, and then it kicks into like, it's got some thriller elements on the action side of that game. But what genre of mystery best fits the mysteries of Brindlewood Bay and like what are some of the typical mysteries that Maven solve yeah it is cozy murder mystery that is the genre um so you think of 
Murder, She Wrote. In America, that's the classic example, right? Although in, in the UK, they have many examples. This is a very popular genre in the UK, right? Uh, but here we have Murder, She Wrote. The idea is it is, it is usually in a setting that is quaint. Um, there's usually something about the setting that makes it stand out from, um, that sort of makes it stand out. So like in, in Cabot Cove, uh, Jessica Fletcher, you know, the, the town that Jessica Fletcher lived in and Murder, She Wrote, Cabot Cove is all about, um, you know, it's like this, like, like little tourist town, this little, like, you know, little, little tourist oceanside, you know, town in Maine. Um, in uh, Midsummer Murders, it's all about like, you know, small English, you know, counties and country villages, right? Um, Rosemary and Time, it's really specifically murders taking place in and around gardens, <laughs> right? You know, I don't believe like, you just mentioned Rosemary and Time. Okay. Have you, do you watch Rosemary and Time? I love Rosemary and Time. I have seen several, I have seen several yeah. episodes before. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, but Rosemary and Time is like really specifically like garden-based murder mysteries, right? Like, so the settings usually have some kind of like really distinctive feature. It's usually a very quaint sort of setting. Uh, it is not, it is not the gritty police procedural. It is not always urban environments though jessica fletcher does occasionally jot off to new york or boston or whatever right um uh but even then when when jessica fletcher in murder she wrote goes to a bigger city there's usually like a really well-defined small space within that within that setting that she's doing the mystery right and so um a, a very common feature of the genre and of brenda wood bay is what we would call like a closed room mystery or like a bottle mystery, like a mystery that takes place, you know, with a set number of suspects, like eight to 10 suspects. And it can only be them because we were all in this building and we were the only people in this building or in this location whenever the murder happened, right? Um, Brindlewood Bay mysteries are also defined by a really big idea. So a big idea or a really distinct setting, like why are these people together, right? So in the mystery All Hallows Scream, which is one of the mysteries from Brindlewood Bay, it's a Halloween party. In Jingle Bell Shock, it's a family Christmas gathering. In The Great Brindlewood Bay Bake Off, it is a baking competition on TV that is airing in Brindlewood Bay, right? So they usually have this like, uh, this really like distinct framing of the mystery, right? And, uh, and there's a murder. Um, and usually the genre also uh, has, um, local authorities who are not good at their jobs and mm -hmm. so someone a, a normal person who has some sort of special skill set has to step in and help the cops do their job right because they are bungling and incapable of doing it right and so in that way it's almost kind of like weirdly anti-authoritarian also in a strange way love it uh, um yeah so those are that is the genre and that is indeed the type of mystery that you do in brenda wood bay so yeah so i, I love that you mentioned awesome. um rosemary and time i uh, I, I went to my I went to my parents' house and my my mother my mother's from Scotland right so she loves um, like you know she has like you know Brit Box and like like she's like a hundred of those services right. and uh, I come in and I'm like what are you watching and she's like oh why? I'm watching you know I'm watching this murder mystery and I like, sit down I'm watching I'm like these two women are gardeners she's like yeah yeah the murder's gonna happen any moment now like don't worry like, in, and it's always in gardens <laughs> right. or like or near where a gardener might be exactly like they were <laughs> they were like tending to like somebody's garden and then like a body was found in the house right, right. Like, yeah. that kind yeah. yeah 
So, and I love the names, by the way, for the murders. Like, yeah, I, yeah, the punny I, name is really important, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say there must be some care that goes into the name for the. Well, for well the I think I think well, I think that kind of speaks to the genre as well. There's a certain like yeah. humor to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like like Brindlewood Bay, and indeed the genre that it kind of lives in. It, it, it's there's this uh, there's a, there's this accessibility that comes through like kitsch and camp humor, right? Like um, it's not unlike you know the types of horror movies I like are usually have like this funny or camp element to it, right? I think it makes the the horror go down smoother, right? Um, this is a kind of a similar idea in the cozy murder mystery. It has this the coziness, but also the humor is what sort of makes it like it's essentially light viewing or light reading right like and you and you get to have a little puzzle and solve it and it's going to be great and at the end of the day they're all going to have tea right it's that kind of thing now brindlewood bay of course that is not always how it ends right like because brindlewood bay goes into this other darker place that the genre does not go in and i think it's what makes brindlewood bay stand out but um but yeah that's another feature as well like just this you know um it, it is not gritty <laughs> it is not it's totally serious it does have a certain camp element to it so yeah. love it cool jerry all right so the next one we're going to talk about is clues um because the key to solving any mysteries for the investigators is to acquire clues and giving out clues is my weakness as a gm so i'm glad to see we're going to get into some good stuff from the game because clues can be physical like a murder weapon or they can be observational like hey that guy is a suspicious limp um, traditionally, RPGs have struggled with randomized skill system and the necessity of a steady acquisition of clues to keep the mystery plot flowing. For example, in a lot of games, if you fail a roll, you miss a clue and the game stalls. Now, some games like NBA deal with the acquisition of the core clue automatic, and other clues will also be automatic as long as the person has the relevant skill. The only thing that varies is how much information you get, but you'll at least get the clue. But what I want to know is, how does Brindlewood Bay mechanize the acquisition of clues? And how does it deal with the issue of keeping clues flowing in order to advance the plot? Fabulous question. And it is like the, it is the secret sauce of Brindlewood Bay. So mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Brindlewood Bay is a really, really innovative mystery system. Um, if I can just step back for a minute, the very first episode of the Gauntlet podcast back in late 2014, episode zero, was about mystery role-playing games. It's the first thing Dan and I talked about. And we, some of the things you identified, Jerry, are what some of the problems we had with mystery RPGs, right? Like if you miss the clue, the game stalls out. If you don't go down the basement where you're supposed to go in the basement, like if you go in the attic instead of the basement and then you can't find the clue, uh, you're all, you know, you're you're kind of at a, at a standstill. Or even if the GM wants to like throw you a bone, They've done so much prep to prepare this like complex mystery that uh, they're not like they don't really have any flexibility or they feel like they don't want to mess up the the the, the linear path that you might be that you're kind of supposed to be on with the clue gathering. Right. So this was something that was always in the back of my mind when I was thinking about like, OK, if I'm going to make a mystery game, what is it going to be like? like how are we going to like avoid some of these these problems? And so the way it works in Brindlewood Bay um, it elides those problems because the way it works is okay. Essentially, the characters, the murder mavens, you can investigate any way you wish. So, if the mystery is wealthy financier from Boston's body washes up uh, uh, on the, on the, on the beach, and the body is currently being held uh, in the freezer at the fish market because Brindlewood Bay inexplicably doesn't have a morgue, despite the fact that it has the highest murder rate per capita in the country, and 
the family's yacht is parked out in the in, in the in the in the in the bay. Like you know all these things, and so as the murder maven, you can approach it however you want. You want to go look at the body, fine. You want to go talk to this person, fine. Maybe you know the family, and so you want to call somebody who who also knows the family and swap notes. There's there's no wrong way to approach the investigation because the keeper has a list of clues. The clues is about it's twenty long, and the clues are are not assigned to any particular place. Uh, they you just pick the clue that makes the most sense in the moment, and you you adapt it to make it fit whatever the characters are doing, and then that's the clue they find. So they can find a clue wherever they look, right? It all just depends on how they do it, and the dice will determine like if there's any complications in that process or whatever. Um, but to answer your question. The clues are flowing because there's no wrong place to look. There's no wrong way of approaching it. And the keeper has a list of clues. They can always react, right? They always have something at hand to, um, to, 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 to present. So yeah, that's how it works. Cool. Well, I like that. Makes it easy to get the clues as you move. So, mm -hmm. so Jason, I gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta say, if, if I'm looking through like your history of running stuff, because I've listened to, you know, number of your APs and I've played games with you. I mean, this feels very much to me like, um, like, like a GM picking moves, like when they take a hard move, yeah. right? Like yeah, it's it got this, yeah. I mean, it, it it's basically like, here's the clues, find the ones that fit the fiction mm -hmm. in this moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, and make, and just work that right into the narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, um, you know, and what's really, and, 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 it's, and it's kind of like a fun, like little challenge for the keeper because, okay, if the clue you really want to give the group is a, uh, a smashed vase, right? But they're talking to a character. Well, how do you give them the clue, a smashed vase in the, you know, by them talking to a character? Uh, there's lots of ways you can approach it, but like, it, it's fun in the moment to kind of come up with like, okay, well, maybe this character will mention the smashed vase, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe you'll look over the character's shoulder and see the remnants of the vase that was swept up or whatever, right? Or you can really twist the clue around and, and maybe it's not a smashed vase at all. Maybe it's something else that was smashed or maybe it's a vase that was stuffed with money, right? Like you can kind of extrapolate and, and twist around and change the clue to make it really fit your particular story. And so that's what's kind of fun. Like the mysteries in Brindlewood Bay, there's like, you know, there's going to end up being like 20 or 25 or so in the, in the final uh, Kickstarter books, but you can run any of them over and over and over again. And trust me, I have. Um, and and you're going to get a different experience every time, which I think is part of the fun. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can hand out, you can just choose to hand out different clues mm -hmm. or do it a different way or whatever. Yeah. I like, I, I so I like this aesthetic and I think this is actually an aesthetic of yours, which is um, putting like it empowers it empowers the GM, right? So you've made them like a lot of times when you see published mysteries, published mysteries are like either really locked down um, where it's like, you know, this is here, this is there, you know, that kind of right. thing I, it, for like, I, like I'm running Knights black agents and it, like, there's a decent amount of work that has to go into setting up um, where clues are. And, and on the fly, I have to like move some clues around from time to time. Sure. But what I really yeah. like is this is, I don't know, like this feels very, I don't want to say this feels very Jason Cordova, but it feels very Jason Cordova that like, like here's a list, work them into like work them into the like work them into the fiction where they make sense. Yeah, well, and and the whole mystery, the whole mystery, like uh, the way it's presented at the keeper is is 
So they're essentially just two or three pages of, of mystery. In the book, they'll take up about six pages, but the handout version is only like two or three pages per, per mystery. And that doesn't seem like much, especially compared to like, say, you know, Mask of Nyarlathotep or whatever, right? Like it's not, it's not that like kind of, you know, it's not, it's not super long and, and, and detailed, but what it is, is, and this is something that will be really familiar, you know, uh, you know, when you say like, you know, like the things that I've always championed in the, in the hobby, it, it is, it's like the most important stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It is thematically important. It's really focused on like big moments and big ideas, the key characters you need, uh, three descriptive details about those characters and a quote, right? So you kind of have a sense of how to role play them. Um, it's it's a location with a paint the scene a question attached, you know. So it, it is a uh, it's the list of clues, and then it's like just a little short presentation of like how to present the mystery. And because in my in my view, prep, you know, I, I like a prep that only takes like ten minutes. You just read the mystery and you're good to go. And then you and then you have this like touchstone this touchstone that you can return to, to help you improvise play essentially, right? Like it is not about like, okay, I have to follow this module or be restricted to doing what this module says, or just be maybe even possibly overwhelmed by all this information. I can just stay in the moment, talk to the players, have the conversation. And when I need to return to the, the mystery sheet, I can quickly find something that's relevant to the moment, you know, and then improvise accordingly. And so, uh, yeah, that is very much like my style of GMing and it's like codified into this game, you know, for sure. I'm loving it. All right. I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to let's talk about processing clues. So after the acquisition of clues, there is often work in putting the clues together to kind of either figure out what to do next, where to go next in order to move the, you know, the game forward or to kind of reach the critical mass of having enough clues to solve the mystery. Mm -hmm. And in most games, this just becomes a player level discussion. Right. Like even even under the best of circumstances, uh, it will break character and go to a player level discussion. And, you know, as the players are trying to kind of piece together what to do, where to go, that kind of thing with the occasional skill check, you know, thrown in here and there. And in, in, in Knights Black Agents, this is absolutely true. Um, the game, you know, does a really good job of getting clues into the hands of the players quickly, but then relies on the players to uh, work the problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and d figure out what to do next. So. In Brindlewood Bay, how do both the players and the mavens connect clues? Like, how do they, like, we talked about how they get them, but, like, what do they do with them? And how does, like, what does the game do to kind of, like, help support that? So here's the thing. Uh, to the extent that Brindlewood Bay, that there's any mechanical controversy about it, uh, this is this is the piece. <laughs> um, and uh, Karen Gillan, uh, the amazing uh, comic book writer, described it uh, Brindlewood Bay is this part of Brindlewood Bay as, and I'm quoting him here, uh, the most audacious thing since uh, the Risk Legacy scratching up the board and tearing up cards, right? Like it is, it is, it is, it is it, I've never thought about that since, but I guess maybe it is. Here's the thing. The mysteries in Brindlewood Bay do not have canonical solutions. There is, the keeper does not know who did it. Uh, the person who wrote the mystery, usually me, but somebody else as well, uh, they do not know who did it. The mystery is the, the solution to the mystery is generated by the players. And so as, as they collect clues, as they collect clues, once they get to a certain number, um, they can then do what's called, it's a move called theorize and theorize sometimes happens in character. Sometimes it's out of character, but in any case, it's a discussion between the players about looking at the clues we have, 
who do we think did it, you know? And this discussion, even though the players know there is no canonical solution to the mystery, like every time you play a mystery, it could be a totally different killer. Even though the players know that, they feel like they're solving a mystery because they kind of are. They're they're making connections. They're like inferring things. They're like using logic. They're uh, they're like you know ruminating on possible contexts that that are important to understanding this clue. Like okay, well we found this clue. This was happening, or this person was doing this, and they're putting all that together. And then once they come up with their consensus theory about who they think did it, you do a die roll to see how to see if you're correct. And the die roll is based off how many clues you incorporate into the theory, right? But, um, and then based off how that die roll goes, you're either you're either correct and the killer is brought to justice or you're correct, but there's a complication, like the killer is gonna run away or endanger you in some way or something like that. Uh, or you're wrong and, so, and it gets even worse. <laughs> you know, maybe the suspect you thought did it uh, ends up dead themselves, right? Like, so So that is, uh, so this is the key thing about Brindlewood Bay. It is, you can investigate any way you want to find clues. And then once you have the clues, it is on you to make, to give them truth, to make the truth of them, right? And, and to solve the, to quote unquote, solve the mystery at the table. And it's a surprise even for the keeper. Even the keeper is like surprised by what happens and what the group comes up with. And if you will, entertain a philosophical (laughs) philosophical point here for a moment i did it this way because um i think that a problem that many mystery role-playing games have is that they are trying too hard to replicate what other mediums do so they're trying to deliver the mystery in the way a book does or in the way a Mm -hmm. film does but role-playing games don't have the strengths, you know, certain strengths of those mediums. It doesn't have that in order to make that make sense. So in a book, we have this like forced perspective. So of course you're going to get the clues in the way you need to get them because that's what the author's guiding you along to do, right? In a film, you have all these like production values and actors and all these kinds of things to help you give, to give you understanding about like how this mystery is playing out. We don't have those things in role-playing games, but role-playing games do have their strengths, right? So when we think about the role-playing game as a medium, of entertainment, the strength of it is the fact that we're all sitting around a table and we're telling a collaborative story together, right? Like that is the strength of the medium. It is, it is our ability to sit down as people and tell stories together. And so that's why Brindlewood Bay works the way it does because it's 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 a mystery system that I think is built for the medium of tabletop role-playing games. And um, uh, it is a controversial thing. Uh, it's, the, it's the thing that people always like have to be who are not accustomed to this type of thing have to be convinced of, uh, but usually when they try it, they, they like it. So, so yeah. I'm definitely in support of this. Cause I will tell you having run a bunch of mysteries in different systems. And especially like I am in one of my game groups running nights, black agents that mm-hmm. from my side of the screen, right. I guess the best way to describe it is like, I always have to stick the landing on this thing, right? Like yes. I have to make sure right. that no matter what the players do say, come up with that the mystery and whoever did it or whatever winds back up in their path. And there is a lot of mental gymnastics that sometimes occurs. Like it, it's the duck thing, right? Like from the top of the screen, metaphorically, I don't always use the screen, but from the top of the screen, I look completely calm. 
and behind the screen i'm like feverishly re like making fixes and rewriting this mystery right, because yeah. i'm steering it back yeah. to get to the the predetermined land like like spot where oh, yeah. this just like tosses that out the window and is like nope you know what as a gm you don't have to worry about it you 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 literally can't do it wrong right like yeah like because the coherency and the logic of it all it's all that's done by the players the players are going to do yep. it all right and okay. all you have to do as the keeper is you know interpret the clues and dispense them as needed and you have to and you and then you and you get to and you just focus on the things that i like to talk about a lot uh, like you know that is good gming like spotlight management and pacing and like all those kinds of things right um so yeah it um i like to think that like that like i said I, that brindlewood bay is like if you if you were only thinking about the medium of tabletop role-playing games and then you created your mystery system, I, I, I just feel like this is what you'd come up with. You know? yeah. I will. I mean, I got to say, like I've played, like I said, I've played a number of games with mysteries mm-hmm. and I like, I think this will like, to me, this would be a breath of relief as a GM to just run a mystery where you don't have to like, I'm not in the background shifting the target, like left and right, trying yeah, to keep right. it in line yeah. with the players. Mm-hmm. And instead, posts. Yeah. yeah, I'm moving goalposts. I'm I'm Schrodinger. Like I'm putting Schrodinger clues all over the place, right? <laughs> yeah. Instead, all of that, all of that um, brain processing, all of that overhead, I can just I don't have to do it, and I can focus on embodying scene, characters, characters scene, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's precisely right. Yeah, yeah. I think That's it's brilliant. Choice. Right? I'm, I, that I, I'm I mean, on. That. I'm on team Jason for this one. I, it, I love yeah. it. Do it. It's you know. Uh, you and I have talked about this before, Phil. I and I'll do do our best uh, uh, not to <laughs> burden everybody with this more of this talk. But I think I'm pretty sure we've talked about cognitive load, right? Mm-hmm. Cognitive load as like a design. Uh, thing to think about as a yep, GMing absolutely. thing. We've talked about it in terms of yep. GMing, like GMing thing to think about. And I think about cognitive load a lot. It is like when I'm designing a game, when I'm running a game, when I'm preparing uh, some other game that I didn't design or some adventure that I didn't write, I'm always thinking about cognitive load and managing cognitive load. And I think it's the kind of thing that you actually are not really like tuned into unless you do run and play lots of games. You know, I just think it's the kind of thing you pick up on yeah. as you run more and more games. Um, I just think there's like only so much that a GM or a player can handle at, at one time, right? There's like a medium, a median amount, right? And I think about that a lot now in game writing. Like it's a big, big focus. So like my other game in between, it's a really demanding game in the types of things it asks you to talk about and do, you know? But I manage all that with the structure, right? Like the structure of play helps manage everyone's cognitive load and they're thinking about about the about the game in the moment right like i know at this point i only have to think about these things and and respond to these things and now we'll go to this next part i'll respond to these other things and whereas i think a lot of games it's just so much more like open and and, uh and it's like you know when you're in a medium where the biggest challenge is getting everyone's head cannons to sync up, you know, <laughs> like, like, like to, to get everyone kind of like somewhat on the same page of like how we're envisioning the scene and how we're envisioning this world, anything you can do to like minimize cognitive load and keep people focused on, on syncing up their, you know, their head cannons together, I think is a good thing to do. And um, I focus on it a lot. And, and Bridwood Bay is just a, it's an expression of that, you know, I, I I love it. I'm uh, I'm 
you did such a good job of explaining it. I'm actually fixing one of our questions on the uh, oh, sorry <laughs> on the interview. No, no, it's good. It's good. Okay. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Jerry and Bob uh, take over for a second. I'm gonna quick hammer out another question so that we um, so that we'll still keep our six questions because I was okay, gonna good. ask about solving the mystery after the break. Jerry oh, was going to actually yeah. ask about yeah. it, yeah. but it's perfect. Like you, you got it all into yeah. one bundle, which is yeah. also really cool. And I think, like you said, I think it really unearths what I think is really a really shining point to this game. Yeah. Like I really think you're nailing the um, how to do mysteries as a role playing game, not awesome. as another yeah. genre. Awesome. I also think it's good that, as you said, that the, the GM doesn't know how the mystery is going to be solved. Mm. So part of the fun of the game is we often talk about how much fun it is as a GM to be surprised by the players. This is a game yeah. that's going to mm-hmm. um, give the GM a fun, I don't want to see well, surprise, obviously, but also gives the GM something that they can, that they can look forward to in the game above and beyond just playing the game, which we do as GMs enjoy. Right. But yeah. Th- yeah. the fact that um, we're kind of along for the, for the mystery as well. So it's a mystery to us, how it's going to get solved also makes it a lot of fun. Um, I think that's something that, that, uh, is kind of a breath of fresh air for a lot of GMs, especially if you've been GMing for a while and trying to GM mysteries. It can be a lot of uh, effort to get them there, as, as Phil mentioned, and being able to just go in and see how the players do it can be a lot of fun. Well, and um, also, like, the, the GM is a player, right? Like, mm-hmm. the GM is exactly. a player. The GM is entitled to have fun. <laughs> the GM is, you know, the GM is entitled to, like, you know, have those same, like, surprise and, and delight at how it's mm-hmm. all going, you know? Yeah, and I... I, uh, as someone who only GMs by choice, I choose not to play. Um, I, uh, I'm very much, I'm very much in, in, in agreement with that. Yeah, for sure. Cool. I am a hundred percent. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> I know Phil is. Yeah. <laughs> so like any good uh, TV who done it, uh, we're going to pause for a break before we get into solving the mystery. Um, we're also going to check in with the chat room, but first Bob, tell us about another show on the restricted mark network. Yeah, so we've got a little show called Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. Jesse and Robert take monthly deep dives into the dark sun setting across... Wow, it's been a while. Misdirected Mark, word scramble. They take monthly deep dives into the dark sun setting and discuss it across all editions of D&D. Which, if I'm recalling correctly, um, there may be some, some 5e dark sun stuff coming down the pipe. Because um, there's some dark sun type things in the Spelljammer announcement, uh, some of the monsters in the, in the monster list and whatnot. So, so that should be interesting. Hopefully they'll get us there. As, yeah. As far as the chat room goes, uh, a little quiet tonight. Again, I like to think that means that they're engrossed by the topic and they're enthralled. Um, I saw the queen did say. I, I saw Senda was excited about the Bake Off mystery. Yes, excited <laughs> about the bake as off. I know, as as I know, she is a huge fan of the Great British Bake Off mm-hmm. uh, and the Great British Sewing Bee. So that's oh, the other. Yeah, yeah. There you go. If you I want, mean, if, you, if you want cozy, if you want cozy TV <laughs> shows, I did do a stint during sometime during the pandemic of watching the Great British Bake Off. Like just such a lovely, delightful. Love it. It's my like comfort TV show. Yeah, yeah, they're like so nice. Like even mm. when they lose, yeah. like everybody's super supportive. No drama. Yeah, which is interesting because usually, especially with with quote unquote uh, reality TV, wherever it comes from, they want the drama because that's what makes it exciting in theory. And yeah, to, except, to go into well, something like that, and it's like there, it's... there's no drama. It's like, like I should well, sit and well, watch that because I hate reality TV because of all the fake drama that they. In, they <laughs> well, you've, you've you've heard about the 
the the the first two hosts, one of the things they keep passing on is that when somebody is about to cry, the two uh, flavor hosts go behind that person and just start dropping as many f bombs and other things as possible because that way <laughs> they can't film it and put it on TV. Because the one thing that the hosts don't want is they don't want to expose and emotionally traumatize the people doing that. Mm -hmm. So whenever they see somebody who's about to have an emotional break, they go over and just start swearing as much as possible and telling dirty jokes and so on. So it cannot be on the air. So that regardless of what the producers want, they don't victimize the people doing the show, which I think is just so supportive as hell. I love that. They still get lots of dirty jokes in, though. Great British Bake Off has an incredible amount of dick yeah. jokes. Like, it really yeah. does. Like, yeah. it's just an impressive amount of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I will say the other reality show that I think actually does a good job for low to no drama, and I, of course, have had to watch many, many episodes of this, is um, Forged in Fire. Oh, yeah. My roommate forces me to watch that. <laughs> now, <laughs> Jason, we, do you know that? We saw your dad. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, you saw yeah, my dad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, we were watching it. I think I texted you. I was like, I was like, which which one is your dad on? Yep. With <laughs> yeah. the eyes, the yeah, man's yeah, eyes. There's not yeah, so much call him in the family, but they do cut that very carefully to create tension. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because it's funny because that, my dad, yeah. my dad will tell you like like it drives my mother crazy, right? Like my mother, like my mother. I don't think my mother can take it anymore. But my dad will tell you like all the things that go on behind the scenes, right? Like. Yeah, you know, because they do they purposely do things like they cut it so yeah, that it that yeah. it looks like all the timing is lining yeah. up like that's yeah. ne- like that's yeah, not the case. That, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's there's editing, right. but there's no drama, yeah. right? Like those guys yeah. are also like my dad's friends with um, like there's a thing when you're on that show, there's a f- private Facebook group of oh. all the other contestants. So the second your show airs, they invite you to the private Facebook oh, group and you're like there with all the other blacksmiths and yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. It's really interesting. I I'll, I'll tell it in the after show. I went to, the, yeah. I went after he, after he was on the show, I went to a knife convention with him in, um, uh, in, in Atlanta. And it took me all of 15 minutes to figure out how the social, like how knife people work. Cause it's just, I mean, it's just a convention, right? Like, yeah. like in 15 minutes, I'm like, I've sussed out this entire social network here. Like <laughs> I understand your customs. Like I understand now everything, like I'm good. It's like the Medito- it was like Metatopia for knife guys. Yeah. Like just, say, just say Tang every now and then. And, yeah, Tang, <laughs> Tang's important. Right, right. There's a few words yeah, you gotta throw those in. Some, there's some yep. terms in. Yeah, I'll good. throw it in the after show if we remember. Like it was, it, it right, was really so- funny. So that we don't right, go yep. deeper into the uh, into the no no uh, I fixed I TV. I created us a new question so I'm sorry Jerry's... I missed your question I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no no it's good me, I like doing okay. this stuff on the it's fly way better this All way right. so yes. we're gonna finish out uh, the the this particular segment on Brindlewood Bay with Jason by uh, going on with this new question. All right. So the question is: If we're doing all these mysteries and we're trying to solve mysteries and the players are always getting involved in things, what can go wrong? Because in solving mystery, there's always troubles and consequences for poking around where you may not be wanted. So, what kind of trouble do the mavens run into when gathering clues, when solving mysteries in between mysteries, and what do they do about it? Okay, that's a great question. So, uh, I will say that uh, at high level, it depends a little bit on where you're at in the campaign. Brindlewood Bay is a campaign. It's about 12, 13 sessions or so to do the whole thing. And then it uh, with a and then with a minor caveat, it, it ends at that point. Um, so depending on where you're at in the campaign arc, 
the dangers change, right? So in the early sessions, in that when it's just more about the cozy murder mystery, the dangers are mostly just like shadowy figures threatening them, or maybe it could be some of the dangers that they get can be like conditions, like maybe they get frustrated or they get maybe even possibly injured or something like that. So they might get a condition. Um, as the campaign progresses and as they get closer to understanding this cult that's behind everything, this cult is called the Midwives of the Fragrant Void. And they are trying to, they are trying to bring forth a monstrosity, a, mo a monstrous child of Persephone from the, from the, 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 the ocean. Um, they, as they get more and more wrapped up in that, the midwives can start to like directly attack the, the mavens or, or send magic against them or whatever. Right. And sometimes even like at the very late campaign, like sort of like these horrifying Lovecraftian versions of Greek myth monsters <laughs> against them. Right. So, so like I said, the game gets kind of weird as it goes. Right. Um, but like that. On a sort of session-to-session -session basis or a moment-to-moment basis, the, one of the biggest things that can happen to a maven is they can get a condition, okay? And right. as they get a condition, they um, the condition, it, it affects your role play, theoretically, like you might role play your character differently, but it can also have an effect on your die rolls. So if the condition would affect your die roll, then you have to roll a disadvantage to account for it. And so the mavens will want to clear the conditions. And so... That What's sort of an example activates. of a condition. What's yeah. Uh, oh gosh. It, it could be something like unnerved because they just saw something kind of creepy, or it okay. could be, uh, or it could be something like really, really strange. <laughs> like maybe they had a conversation with a secret midwife, and now they have a condition called uh, the depths of the void or something. Right. Like it can go into all kinds of different ways, but if the condition affects the maven and negatively, then they have to. It affects their die rolls, and you know that's that's a problem. But it activates a core gameplay loop because in order to clear the condition, you have a scene with another maven, an intimate scene called called a cozy um, uh, a cozy move scene, where essentially one of you is doing your hobby that's not mystery books. All the characters have like a hobby that they call their cozy activity. So like cooking, knitting, baking, that kind of thing. Um, one of them is doing their cozy activity and they're having an intimate scene together, like a just being friends or whatever, right? And, and talking things through and chatting things out. And that's how you can get a condition cleared, right? Um, okay. And you can also stumble on a clue in the scenes too as well. But so that's sort of like how you can avoid that trouble in the game. Uh, that's, you know, you get a condition and then you kind of have these little intimate moments between the mavens in order to clear them. And um, what was the rest of the question? Let me look. It was, uh, what kinds Pretty of trouble? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's sort of like the, there's a range of things, right? It can be just like, like literal, like kind of physical danger. It can be something more, more cosmic in nature and supernatural in nature as it gets a little further into the campaign. Yeah. And there are other tools for avoiding danger too. And I can talk about those as well, if you wish. But yeah, go ahead. I'd like to hear yeah. about them. This, this yeah. To hear. So there are some special things that the mavens can do mm -hmm. and that the keeper can do in order to give the mavens almost like a fictional do-over, <laughs> right? So something this game does is something, sometimes the stakes of a die roll are really high, like okay. up to and including the maven gets killed, right? And so you miss the die roll and then we, the keeper will straight up narrate the maven uh, dying <laughs> and getting murdered or dying in some gruesome way. It's a bit of a shocking moment because everyone, no one expects that. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> but then, as a player, you can choose to do what's called putting on a crown. 
And this is a sort of meta mechanic, an out of character mechanic. On the, on the character sheet, there's two sections. One's called the crown of the queen, one's called the crown of the void. And the crown of the queen has different prompts underneath it. And each prompt helps explore the idea of the character as a woman. So it might say, narrate a flashback to a time when you were an imperfect mother or sister, or narrate a flashback to your late partner, your favorite memory of your late partner, or something like that, right? And, or narrate a scene in the present day that shows how you satisfy your physical desires, right? Because this game, while on the surface, it's this like sort of cozy murder mystery thing, and it's just kind of like, you know, cute little granny's game, I still want the characters to be whole characters. I want them to be full characters. And so the crown of the queen, in exchange for narrating one of these little prompts and revealing something about your character, your poor die roll gets bumped up. So the bad thing that happened to you, we rewind and do something different. It's almost like choose your own adventure. Like, you know how you used to put your thumb in the choose your own adventure book, right? Yeah, so you can go back and choose a better option. That's kind of what this is. We okay. see the we, we get the fun of the bad option, but we don't have to stick to it. Um, the other crown is called the crown of the void. And it, it's the same mechanical effect. If you choose that, you get a bump up on your die roll. But what you're giving up in exchange is you are becoming, your character's becoming more entwined with the void, uh, the, the occult aspect. So one of the crowns of the voids is from now on, Whenever you're having a cozy, intimate scene in the background, something, some weird shit has to be going on. Right? So like, I like that. You're in the garden gardening and unbeknownst to your character, there's like a, you know, there's a, like a murder of crows behind you or there's a, a strange shadowy figure or something, right? Like, like, so another one of the crowns of the void is from now on in every conversation, in every intimate conversation, it's called the pallet mask. If you have the pallet mask mark from now on in every intimate conversation, you have to talk about death and dying. <laughs> you know? So, okay. so, so that's another thing you can mark the crown of the void. If you want to go into this more like dark place with the character. Right. Um, so, but, but it's a way of avoiding danger. So like the, the stakes can be really, really high in Brindlewood Bay because there's no hit points or anything. Sometimes you're just either alive or dead, you know? And, uh, but this this crown mechanic lets you avoid that. Another thing in the game is one of the moves. And this is a fun one. One of the moves is called the Gold Crown Mysteries move. The Murder Mavens are all fans of this particular series of mystery books called the Gold Crown Mysteries. And they feature this particular super sleuth named Amanda Delacorte. And whenever a player says, and you can do it once per session, a player says, this reminds me of something that happened to Amanda Delacorte. Then as a group, you decide the name of the mystery book. You give it a little funny name. You decide, you, you describe the situation that Amanda was in that's similar to what you're in and then how Amanda got out of it. And then if you apply that same lesson <laughs> to the moment, you get an automatic 12 plus on your roll, which of course is very high in, in, in PBTA, right? So um, or, or you get to declare something true about the scene. And so that's another way, another tool that the players have to, to get the good outcomes that they want. Um, each of the players has, each of the characters has a single move called a Maven move. And the Maven moves are each named after a 
TV detective from the 70s, 80s, or 90s uh, television programs. So there's a there's a Fox Mulder and a Dale Cooper and a Jim Rockford and all that stuff. And these are just like your kind of like special moves that function in a way that's kind of inspired by the character that they're named after. Is um, there a Columbo? Yeah. Do it. There is, is Frank there a- Columbo, yeah. Oh. If you have the Frank Columbo move, you are particularly disarming to wealthy people, to wealthy high society people. So whenever, so like once per session, you can find like more clues whenever you're, whenever you're like in such an environment <laughs> and you have to explain why they don't take you seriously. Like why you are able to sort of, you know, uh, I love it. Disarm them. Yeah. That's so, great. I did um, not, I was not aware. I was not aware of the Maven moves. That is amazing. Yeah. The moves are great. Yeah. Like there's, uh, I could talk about those all day. Like there's one that's, um, <laughs> Uh, like the Dale Cooper one, which is like which Twin Peaks, right? Like in that one, at the beginning of every session, the Maven has a weird ass dream, <laughs> and and the weird ass dream has like premonitions about what's going to happen in the mystery. Right? Um, oh, it's so good. Or Jim Rockford in the beginning of the session, the Maven gets an answering machine message, and the answering machine message, um, the answering machine message uh, gives them like an extra little mission. And if they do it, you get an extra experience point at the end. So, yeah. So there's like Brilliant. there's like there's like 25 of these moves. They're all each named after a different TV detective uh, person. <laughs> I, I, I just and I just got to know because I was raised by a pack of wild televisions in the oh, 70s yeah, and yeah, 80s. So yeah. like, do we have like Barnaby Jones? Uh, there's no Barnaby Jones. No, there uh, there is Quincy. Yeah, oh, yes. uh, Quincy. You get uh, basic. I can't remember how the Quincy one works, but it's essentially um, it's got something to do with like. Uh, like healing wounds or medicine or condition, like physical conditions, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's cool. My grandmother and I used to yeah. watch um, like TV murder mysteries constantly oh, yeah. when yeah. I was a little kid. So like yeah. all of those, like all That's of those great. names that you just mentioned, like I make me think of like sitting at my grandma's house, like <laughs> having cookies, watching mysteries with her. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, yeah. oh there's uh, one of the Maven moves is actually not named after a TV detective. It is the, um, Oh, crud, I've actually forgotten the name. I better go look it up before I, uh, <clears throat> I should have had this ready. Apologies. But it is. Um, right. I'll find it. No, it's worth it. Hold on. Um, we'll make this one the longest one. And then I've done this for my own game. Like, what did I call yeah. that move? <laughs> okay. second. Here we go. Uh, this move, and this is a reference. We'll see if anybody gets this reference. This move is called Gordon Shumway. Do you know who Gordon Shumway is? No. No. Gordon Shumway is is Alf, uh, the puppet Alf from the old Alf okay. TV show, <laughs> the little, like alien puppet guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, this one, uh, your character has a a cat that like oh. <laughs> a, a cat that can like do this very like can do things or whatever. But this is just also my sense of humor because uh, Alf eats cats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, like, yes. So, yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, little joke there but yeah oh, there's that's um funny. that's good there's gordon like there's remington steel there's colt sievers there's jim rockford there's fox Mulder. there's frank dowling uh there's sunny crockett yeah, there's kind of oh the fall yeah. guy yeah yeah the that's fall guy stuff. yeah once per session you can take a 12 plus on any role related to a wild or daring physical feat so oh like i'm that. singing the song in my head Perfect. right now yep. so like, just all right we should move on to the next question before ah, we there you go good job bob good job keep us on track keep us on track there we go all right uh let's talk about some player advice moving off mm-hmm. of the discussion of, of mysteries 
Uh, I want to talk to you about what makes a good maven in Brindlewood Bay, because you are literally the person who has run the most Brindlewood Bay sessions ever. Um, and of course, designed the game. So what's like your best advice to players? So like, like, you know, give us a sneak peek for what's going to be in the big book. What's like the yeah. best advice to players when it comes to, I was going to say solving mysteries, but work in, let's just say work in mysteries. In, yeah, in that's a great, Bay. that's a really good question. And, and all these interviews I've done, no one's asked me that. That's a good one. Um, I, I think this is the key. To some degree, we're kind of having a laugh, right? You know, there's a move called Jim Rockford. There's, a, you know, there's a move, there's an Alf move, right? Like, uh, we're there's a, there's there's a, there's a bit of silliness there. What's really important though is that the characters take what they're doing very seriously, even if what even if we as p- players are kind of having a laugh, right? So as long as you play it that way, you'll be good. But also, the best way to be a Maven is. Um, so the, the, the information gathering move in the game is called the meddling move. And it's named that way for a really specific reason, because you should meddle, right? So the best way to be a maven is to get to be where you're not supposed to be. And mm-hmm. um, so if, if Sheriff Dalrymple, the hapless sheriff of Brindlewood County says, I absolutely do not want you going out there tonight, you absolutely should go out there tonight, right? <laughs> so that, that's yep. the thing. If Sheriff, if Sheriff Dalrymple says, do, don't do this, then you definitely do this, right? Um, but also, because of these tools that I just talked about, these different ways that the, that the, that the players can kind of save themselves, um, you, should, you should play dangerously, right? Like, put your maven in danger. Make them go into the darkness because that's when that's when Brindlewood Bay gets really fun because it's because the fun part of Brindlewood Bay is that tone shift like it starts with this like sort of cozy thing to the point where in the beginning of each session you actually do an opening credits scene where we see the mavens like you know enjoying their lives in Brindlewood Bay you know riding a bike and waving in the distance right like they're you know they're doing their little cozy thing then you have this tone shift though because as they like sort of get into the dark places of the setting dark things happen. It could be just like shadowy figures. It could be danger. It can be, um, it could be a, a Hellenic death cult that is trying to raise a monster out of the ocean. Right. Like, like, but you don't get to experience any of that if you don't push into the darkness. Right. Um, and in this game, things that happen at night are, are mechanically more dangerous, even like the, the, the moves are more dangerous at night than they are in the day, you know? But that's, but yeah, but that's what we want to see. We want to see them in danger. And so push into that danger because at the end of the day, and this is a game design philosophy of mine, you as the player truly have full control over whether your maven dies or not, essentially, right? Like you, you have ultimate control over their story. And so go for it. Yeah, that's my, that's my advice. Cool. Are you going to do like, um, like some player principles, like in the book, like, you know, just, uh, there are some, yeah, I don't remember yeah. what they are. <laughs> um, it's something, no, no, it's fine. it's, it's okay. some combination of those things though. Yeah, that no, it's good. It's good. Like I get it. Like, I always, often when I'm play testing, I'm like, who wrote this game? Like, you know, cause I can never remember things. Yeah, and oh, you, plus you must yeah. also be carrying like what? 13 versions of this game in your head well and also the between right that's the yes. that's the trickiest part is the between because they are like very similar games but they yeah. have slightly different terms in places and so i'm constantly like getting those i promise i, like, I wrote the game though <laughs> i like the idea that things are more that moves are more dangerous in the dark that sets a a, a definite tonal yeah. shift in games that also make things uh more interesting and 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 more moody without actually having too much of a mechanical problem with it yeah. but raises the stakes and i like that that sounds yeah really yeah yeah like it's yeah like it's at, well it is at a mechanical level like mm-hmm. it, at night the, the the core of like sort of like 
co conflict resolution move is called the there's either the day move or the night move and the night move is written to be more dangerous like it is a more dangerous move than the day move yeah cool very cool all right, all right. what's Jerry? the last question jerry all right this is gonna be on our gming advice so obviously this show's bread and butter is gming advice mm -hmm. so we'd be remiss if we don't talk to you about some gming advice for brindlewood bay so what's your best advice for gms when running adventures in Brindlewood Bay? Terrific question. I will do my best to restrain myself on the answer. Um, time was. Um, uh, Last question, so go for it. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. We, uh, the, the, the pamphlet version of the game, the preview version, does a pretty good job of supporting keepers anyway. But the, but the kickstarted version, that's the biggest thing we're adding is massive keeper support, right? Like we are gonna help you run this game effectively because as I mentioned at the top of the show, that's really important to me personally that you be able to like get this and run it, right? And so one of the ways we support you in that is the very first session, the whole first part of the session is scripted. So character creation, game introduction, uh, the sort of like little uh, equipment list population part all that stuff is scripted basically right up until you present the mystery so do that because what it's going to do is this is something else bill and i've talked about what it's going to do is it gives you a chance to be on stage in a low stakes way you know you get to get the nerves out you get to get the sillies out you get to get the and you could you just do follow the script and do what it says and everyone's doing what it says and you're kind of easing into your role as the keeper so that's like step one do that uh your first session uh, read the mystery beforehand. Don't read it to memorize it. That's not the point of it. The point of it is to read it so that you are uh, you are at least momentarily submerged in the setting, right? You at least understand at a, at a, at a somewhat basic level how this setting reacts to things, right? And what its vibe is. And so read the mystery. And don't forget that at the end of the day, this is a pretty collaborative process. And so lots of times, you are inviting the players to be almost like little mini keepers like they get to describe certain parts of the scene or they get to define things they get to define the ending of the mystery right they get to say who did it so uh so just trust that process trust that like you're all there together you are there to also be entertained and surprised and it's okay for the you know and, and indeed encouraged for the players to to help you out so yeah awesome cool that covers all it for right me. sounds good all right jason Thank you for spending time with us and talking about Brindlewood Bay. Thank um, you. I don't see too much activity in the chat room, which means that nope. everybody who's watching is watching. Like they're okay. not even <laughs> chatting among themselves, which is a sign. So I know the difference between when we have a good topic and no one's typing and when we have a bad topic and they're all talking about something else. Nobody is talking about anything, which means they are just watching. Okay, um, I'll take it. <laughs> so I, yeah, I think we've, uh, I think we've done a good job there. Um, so yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to have you uh, just tell us real quick, because even though you're staying with us through the rest of the show and the after show, but um, just tell us right now before we hit the conversation corner, like, where do people find you on the Internet? Where do people find the things that you create? All that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I am on uh, for, on social media. I'm on Twitter at Jason Cordova six. Um, you can also follow the Gauntlet's Twitter account, which I don't run, but it kind of always talks about what we're doing. It's at Gauntlet RPG. And then we have a website. It's gauntlet-rpg.com. 
And of course, your stuff's on drive through. Oh, um, oh, sure. Yeah, you host yeah. you a can find pod- all our stuff. You, you host a podcast in a Oh, yeah. Thank you, Phil. I do, I do lots of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, actually, if I could point you towards anything, please go listen to my podcast, Fear of the Black Dragon. I'm very, very proud of it. Uh, my co host, Tom, and I work really hard on that show, um, or any winning podcast, Fear of the Black Dragon. Uh, about old school and OSR adventure modules and I love analysis. Yeah, so. Plus, I love the name. Like the name. Yeah. Like the, ever <laughs> since you announced it, the name, I've always been a fan of the name of that uh, yeah. that podcast. Yeah. And the album that actually inspired the name. It's a great so, album. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool, right. Bob. Do you want to do, do you want to yeah. carry us over to the conversation corner? Cool. Yeah. All right. So, Jason, because because you're new here. Uh-huh. Um, we talk about one thing that's like whatever like thing you're kind of geeking out on that's like not RPG related. And then if you want, like we just usually list off a bunch of other things that we're kind of doing. Okay. Um, but you're welcome to, you know, um, tell us about whatever. Okay, great. Shall I start? Or Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Guess um, first. Uh, this is probably, this feels almost like a little, like maybe even a little played out in the culture at this point. But I, uh, man, when I'm not running this Kickstarter, I'm playing Elden Ring. Um Elden Ring is my joint and my jam. I love it. Uh, it is it is already in like the top five video games ever for me. Uh, for people who don't know, Elden Ring is a video game by From Software. It is a follow up to their their style of game that's called Soulsborne, like which includes Dark Souls and Bloodborne and other games in that line. Um, it is just fucking phenomenal. I mean, you want to talk about like incredible, deep, fascinating world building? It is there. Um, the the lore of this it's a fantasy sort of like hack and slash you know adventure game um uh the 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 storytelling is what i want to focus on because it's brilliant there is a clear lore and history in this world like it is there but the game developers they don't just like tell you there's not like exposition right you discover the story um in a really organic way, like as you're playing, you discover the story because even in very subtle ways, like I go to this region and there's this one particular type of plant that's very, that's easy to pick up in this region. And if you go just a little deeper, you discover that there's a, there's a story reason for that, right? Like why that plant is found right there. Or you have these like strange cryptic conversations with NPCs and by themselves none of it means much but as you start as you continue playing you start to like make connections and you start to figure out this really wild expansive deep lore and um i love that kind of storytelling um it reminds me a lot of our game trophy because that's how storytelling and trophy works and um and so elden ring i'm on i'm approaching 200 hours um nice. <laughs> which is like and i'm not even close to being done uh and i've, I've got at least, i've got at least another 50 you know it's not quite 200 hours maybe like 160 or 170 but i probably got another 50 hours to go if i had to kind of guess and um i just love it and it's so good yeah. what what platform are you playing it on i play it on ps5 yeah. okay but it's, i think it's i'm pretty sure it's on on it's i know it's on xbox and i'm pretty sure it's on computer yeah. on pc or desktop too so yeah Nice. Cool. I love nice. that. And then what's the other thing? Everything else? Oh, hmm. Yeah. Cause you, so we used to have a bad habit of like doing that description for like six things. So we've oh. had to force ourselves <laughs> to only talk about one thing and just list some other things. Oh, list all the other things. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Downton Abbey rewatch because there's a new Downton Abbey thing coming out and I'm a big, big Downton Abbey fan. Uh, I am doing comfort TV shows because I'm in the middle of a Kickstarter. And so all I want to do is comfort food. And so yes. that is Shit's <laughs> Creek. That is Great British Bake Off. That is oh. Down Abbey. Um, 
I am, uh, I am, I'm loving, uh, I've been like really into like, um, like old, <laughs> this is a weird thing. Um, like I've been really, I've been going back and listening to like lots of like old, like folk, like political folk music. Mm. I think it's because of our current climate. <laughs> I think I'm like trying to find some inspiration from the sixties and the fifties, you know, and like, you know, you're like trying to like find some, uh, <laughs> some like political inspiration, some, some will to carry on. Um, yeah, those are some things I'm doing right now in the background for sure. Cool. All right. So my one thing for this week, uh, is Star Trek strange new worlds. Um, mm -hmm. the first episode dropped and this is a departure from the current crop of Star Trek TV shows, which have all been very, um, <clears throat> long form story. Uh, instead of episodic like the original series and Next Generation um, and and really Voyager to a certain extent, the, it's been like a 10, 12, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever, however many part mini movie where the, the plot takes all of those episodes to go. And Strange New Worlds um, was specifically designed to go back to the original series vibe of Planet of the Week, Culture of the Week, whatever. And also taking that and tying it to current events. And they nailed it right out of the gate. And it's brilliant. Love the cast. The performances were great. It's just, I, I cannot praise this show enough. I, I like this show so much and the vibe that it's giving that I would like the people who are producing it to roll right over from that when they hit the the point where the original series should start, I want them to roll right into the original series. Get a new cast and take the old scripts, modernize them a little yeah. bit, and give them the, the new aesthetic with the special effects and the big budget and everything, and just redo the original series. Just do it. <laughs> yep. I think that would be brilliant. And, uh, and regardless, I know they won't, but... Um, Strange New Worlds is uh, definitely life giving right now. It's brilliant. It love it. Can't can't wait to see the next episode this week. So um, that's my one thing that I want to expound on uh, in a lot of words. Uh, beyond that, uh, I've been watching uh, the uh, anime, uh, the short form animated show Pacific Rim: The Black on Netflix. Um, watched the Picard and Moon Knight finales this week. Um, I've been watching Kim's Convenience, which is a very interesting show. Um, I uh, got to see uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which you had a hard uh, lid on that because yep, hard lid yeah. on that. No, uh, no spoilers for people that haven't seen nope, it yet. No spoilers. And then uh, we had uh, we impl we implemented blown game protocol on Sunday night and did a movie night instead, where we did a a uh, a school hijinks double feature of PCU. Followed by real genius, so chronologically out of order, but still good. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> all right, Jerry. All right, my one thing is going to be, and I will not do any spoilers. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, friend of the show, Chris, had an extra ticket, and so grabbed me on the opening day, and uh, so we went to go see it. He went to go see it at three o'clock, got out at five thirty, walked out, met me, and we walked right back in. And he saw it a second time, so. Wow. Um, I will just say that um, it is a Sam Raimi movie, so yes. and, and it feels like all over the place. And just as um, uh, The Witcher Soldier was kind of a born identity type story told in the Marvel Universe, 
and Thor Ragnarok was a buddy cop movie done in the uh, in the Marvel Universe. Uh, this is a horror movie done in the Marvel Universe, and I will just say um, there's going to be some stuff in it that probably little kids would would be uh, shocked by or, or or disturbed by, depending on your little kid. Uh, but it's a good movie. It's a lot of fun. I think it's one of the better Marvel movies. Um, and uh, as a fan of Sam Raimi's movies, especially like The Evil Dead and The Quick and the Dead and and uh, A Simple Plan and that, this has his fingerprints all over it. And there's times you're watching it going, oh, that's really cool, but that's also a Sam Raimi thing. Um, it's a lot of fun. I'm just going to say, if, if you like Marvel movies, if you like Doctor Strange, if you like um, non-gory horror movies, if you like um, thrillers, suspense, um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, th- that, Can I just and, say, yeah, kid, kids need to be shocked. This is good. Oh, kid, yeah, but kids but, need but, it. But but you, like, but you got but, but you got to let parents know. Oh, that's I mean, yeah, that's fair. No, I mean, but, yeah, I mean, when I when I was when I was five years old, I was watching horror movies. That, that's oh yeah, thing. yeah. But I, but I, not just but, but but you got to let parents know that kind of stuff because you you never ever want to like shock. You never want to uh, consent. Remember, it's all about consent. I and remember. So you, want, you, want to, you want to give people that warning. I remember watching Toy Story three in the in the theater, and the end of Toy Story three, uh-huh. all, all of the toys are holding hands and they're being pushed down into an incinerator. Uh huh. And I remember thinking, oh man, there's a bunch of kids in here who are about to grow the fuck up, like in like two, like they're about to. Oof. This is it, you know. <laughs> this is it, and I couldn't wait. I was like, oh man, there's some. There is some trauma going on right now, and this is incredible. I can't believe Disney's doing this. And then they saved him. And I was like, oh man. I, I, it gets close. I, 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 it gets I, close. Yeah. Like I like yeah. I was welling up. Like I was I saw Willy Wonk. I saw Willy Wonk as a as a little kid when it first yeah, came out. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I saw yeah. I saw Willy Wonk in the early 70s. Yeah. And yeah. uh those little Oompa Loompas scared the hell out of me. <laughs> um I could handle Dracula, I could handle uh, you know, Saturn three, I can handle all that kind of stuff, but, but that just, you know, Willy Wonka. And I, I love that movie, but it's just there anyway. Yeah. But like they said, Dr. Strange, Multiverse of Madness, it's a very good movie. Um, I recommend if you can go see it as soon as you can, you will not be able to avoid all the spoilers for too much longer. And there is trying, so much man. good I'm trying. There is yeah, so much good spoiler, spoilers besides you, Phil, but anybody else who's not waiting, waiting for, I mean, if you can get out and see it, go see it. Um, Everything else, I watched the, the the final season of Justified, and it was very good. I was a little upset, or upset. I was a little concerned because they did a pretty heavy character twist early on, where the main character started doing some things that didn't seem in character. But they wrap it up really nicely. Um, Strange New Worlds, I loved it. I, I love original Trek, and this was just beautiful and wonderful and well done. Um, uh, Moon Knight, I liked it a lot. It wasn't exactly what I was hoping for, but it was still pretty good. Um, Picard was good. The end. The last episode was 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 worth the wait. Is it? Um, <laughs> um, like I said, there I is. I keep trying to watch it. It's not working. It's not great. No, the episodes. Okay, real quick, Picard. There is something worth seeing in every episode, but this. But for the story they wanted to tell, it should have been four freaking episodes long and be done with it. They okay. stretched it out way too long, and and the payoff isn't there, but there is still something worth seeing. Um, okay. I don't. I don't. I don't think that. I'm not upset. I, I I'm not upset. I saw it, but at the end of it, I was like, meh. Out of my um, love for Star Trek, I like make myself watch an episode. I tried to watch two, and then Paramount like crashed on my TV, and I was like, I don't know, maybe that's a sign. And I like just got up and went <laughs> and did something else. Like I was like, yeah. all right, I'll watch another episode later. Part is good to watch if you've got if you're doing something else like eating dinner 
or you know, <laughs> playing a video game or something like that. This this season, a minimal is great. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, we did. I said movie night was great. It was a lot of fun to see two movies. It's been a long time since I've seen Real Genius. And Bob and I got back into Valheim this week. Um, we are gearing up to fight the final boss. And we've come up with a lot of fun strategies. And part of the fun of Valheim is just building stuff. And especially when Bob and I are on together building stuff, it's a lot of fun because I'll have an idea and I'll start doing something. And then Bob comes over and he bobs the hell out of it. And Bob builds things to last and he builds things with an aesthetic. Um, I'll slap things together. Bob will make them look good. And uh, we are ready to take on the bad guy. So we, we've been just gearing stuff up. And real quick, Bob, if you haven't been back, you've got to go back and look at my field of death that I built. So uh, yes. um, anyway, so that, that's what we had this week. Phil, one thing? Yeah, my one thing is going to be uh, my Long Live the Queen game. So mm-hmm. Send and I are, um, are queer time traveling, super spy, sci-fi um, game that we're playing. Jason, has, Jason doesn't know this uh, setting because it's like a thing I've been working on on the side, but it's time travelers return to Musketeer France um, mm. to exploit it for all its mineral resources. Oh. And, uh, but in, but at the same time, introduce a whole host of um, progressive social agendas and things like that. So Paris mm. is this like super queer and metropolitan city, mm. but because the colonizers have made it that way. So it's like good and bad. Um, and the King who's totally like absorbed with, hanging out with the time travelers and stuff has kind of lost his way. And the queen has her own set of spies that are kind of trying to save France and save the timeline. So we were playing this week. Uh, we're playing it in cortex prime and uh, Senda just had my favorite part of the night was that Senda's had this like on again, off again, rival in the, in the Royal court. And she's been, you know, giving her the stink eye and they're like both they're they're both their families have vineyards and they're competing to get um, uh, their wine into, uh, into uh, London. And so Senda's like, yeah, she's like, I'm going to stare down, like give her like the, like give her the real stink. Eye. I want to like intimidate her kind of thing. And I'm like, cool, roll it up. So she rolls and she rolls all ones. So it's like a complete botch. And I'm like, yep. I'm like, you stare her down and you catch feelings for her like uh. <laughs> d10 d10 catch feelings and send us like damn it there's going to be hate kissing and this isn't there and i'm like i'm like yep i'm like there's only one conclusion to this failed battle like two angry they're gonna these two these two frenemies are going to start making out somewhere before this uh before this adventure is over so but it was good she like completely failed to roll she had a bad night of rolling to begin with so i was able to chalk up a couple of good consequences hmm. for the evening and again it's just proving out i'm i'm actually really enjoying cortex prime as a as a yeah it's a system um it's more traditional than i normally play but i really like the system so it's not uh it, it's holding up over multiple games other things um i'm still trucking through the original marvel gi joe comics i've reached the 90s and shit has gotten weird like <laughs> I mean, the whole history of this comic book is that it's been tied to the toy line. But by the time it reaches the 90s, like any like it's just coming apart at the seams here. Like the stories are good. The writer, Larry Hamm, is still a really good writer, but they're just dumping weirder and weirder toys on his desk and telling him to get them into the comic book. So like they just like now they're not like based on military vehicles anymore. They're just these like neon things. And there's now a ninja force that like it's just it's all over the place. And I'm yeah. I'm I'm in for the run. I'm going to read 
the whole 155 issues um, because then IDW picks it up like 20 years later um, and actually gets Hama back and they do like, and it, they, he actually starts it on, they actually start the series, the IDW series on 156. It's actually like a continuation yep. of where he left off in the mid nineties. So I, I'm a hundred percent here for it. It is all over the place, but I'm loving it. I've been playing some more PGA 2K21 golf. It's really chill. Like as video games go, it's kind of a really nice, relaxing, like, you know, make my putt. And my son's been playing it with me. So it's a, it's also a cool father and son thing that we've been able to do. Uh, Strange New Worlds was amazing. Um, boy, does Captain Pike just give off the daddy vibes. Like, oh, man, boy, it's a smoke show. Oh, oh, oh good man. Yeah. Yeah. And Total I mean, in, I don't even know anything about that, but I just see pictures of him and I'm like, Holy it, you shit. could just watch it just yeah. to see him on the yeah. screen like the whole time. And and in the pilot, he's rocking the full like mountain man beard in the oh, beginning. Wow. Okay, yeah, and great. it still yeah. works like yeah. it's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That whole that. that yeah. Good that sense. whole thing is he's he's got all of it going. Plus ripped Spock like Spock. Like they there's a scene with Spock without a shirt on. And you're like, when did Sp-? like Spock's been in the gym like he is. Yeah. He is ripped. Anyway, uh, and I'm finishing out. Day. What's it? Spock doesn't skip ab day. Nope. Spock does not skip ab day. Um, and then I was, I've been watching as my um, series that I've been binging. I've been watching SEAL Team, um, which is uh, actually pretty good. Actually, I, I can't say anything bad about it. It's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's broadcast TV drama, but it's got a little bit of action. It's got more drama in it than I thought it was going to have, but I'm actually here for it. Like it's, it's actually taken a few stances every like it's taken stances every now and then on some actual like real topics like about um, concussions and like for soldiers and things like that. So I'm uh, I'm there for it. And I think I'm pretty I think I'm pretty close to the end of season four. And I think season five is I think don't I think it's only got one more season before I catch up. So I'm, I'm just going to keep on I'm gonna keep on trucking on it. It's good. Anyway, that's me. Cool. All right. We embellished a little more than we normally do, but that's all right. We're still doing good time here. We're still doing good time. But that does take us to the Patreon shoutouts before we roll on out here. So thank you so much to JT Evans, Jared Rasher, Jen Pixelscapes Gagney, Jim Fitzpatrick, Joseph Peralta, Catherine Helpern, Michael Draper, my Brett, not my personal Brett, but somebody's Brett. He's somebody's Brett. Ninjabi and the Rainmaker. And thanks to everyone for listening tonight. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, you're welcome. Come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with the other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. And if you cannot make it to the live show, check out our podcast each week wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of their shows in the District of Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Hannah's Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Jang Who Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and the incredible back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcast, Tabletop Bellhop, The Night to the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. Are they almost done? Or did they finish? Uh, almost. Okay, I was going to say, we need to, I mean, we're going to have to, we should get them on before they, or get them on after they wrap their show. Anyway, um, as you are putting together your final clues and about to reach your conclusion for the mystery, leave us some feedback. You can reach us on the old-fashioned emails, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. You can reach us on Twitter for now. 
If Elon Musk is if Elon Musk is saying if Elon Musk is going to keep his word, we won't be there for much longer. But anyway, the show in the network is at Misdirected Mark. He's Robert M. Everson. He's GM Gerrymander. I'm DNA Phil. And Jason. Yay. All right. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Django Hustle is at patreon.com slash Django Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Misdirected Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs, Mike Drop. We out.